Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. I know you're expecting this third episode of season two to be focused on the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That only stands to reason since all of season two is focused on Ponder Anew, a hymn journal of trust and confidence. But things didn't go quite the way we had planned. I've got just the right guy lined up to talk to us about God's faithfulness and what that means in that text in Lamentations, but also throughout the whole Old Testament. But he's not available right now. I'll let him tell you why. But he's not available until the end of August. So we're going to stick a pin in that conversation about God's faithfulness. I trust he'll be faithful to bring us back when it's time. But I wanted to give you something this week, something for you to listen to and and ponder, something for you to share with your small group or to play in the background as you add color to your hymn journal. So I thought I would give you what I gave our Next Step patrons just last week. I like our Next Step patrons to know what's going on so they can look ahead and, and be praying for the ministry of Next Step Press. And just recently, I shared with them an audio version of the introduction and the first chapter of a book called Delight. You've heard me talk about that book. In fact, you've read part of that book because the introduction section on that Hebrew concept of play or sha'ah that can also be used to talk about meditating God's word, that comes directly from the book. So thank you to all of our patrons for your generous support. And this episode is particularly dedicated to Deb and to Judy. Deb and Judy both became patrons in the last week. We'll talk more about God's faithfulness as soon as we can, but for now, let's talk some about delight. Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved by Justin Rosso. Introduction, An Image of Mutual Delight. Over the last couple of years, an image of mutual delight has repeatedly captivated my heart and mind. You know the mutual delight I'm talking about, or something like it. You might have experienced it during a moment of peace in the company of dear friends. You would recognize it in the eyes of two lovers as they first discover they're in love. But I think you can see this image of mutual delight most clearly in that moment when a darling child rushes into their parents' arms. In my imagination, the child is older than an infant, but still small enough to be picked up easily. The parent could be a mom or dad or even a grandparent, cousin or friend. The important thing is the moment when the little girl or boy runs into a trusted embrace and mom or dad lifts them up and twirls them around and brings that darling child still dangling in the air face to face. And I don't know if mom made a funny noise or dad tickled a little as a part of the hug. But the delight of the moment makes the child giggle. That giggle makes mom laugh. That laugh makes the little boy squeal. And so these two go on and on for longer than you would think reasonable, simply enjoying each other. You know what that's like. Mutual delight. That experience of shared joy, of joy in another person's joy. That image of a mom or dad beaming into the face of a smiling child until both are rolling in the grass laughing. That image of mutual delight has changed how I view my relationship with God. 
Of course, following Jesus can be hard. Of course, following Jesus can be confusing and difficult, and it can end badly. Ask any of his original 12. Only one got to die peacefully of old age. Of course, the call to follow this Jesus is a call to pick up your cross, to lose your life, to bear a new and different kind of yoke. But this same Jesus also promised that losing your life was the only way to find it. That by joining in his death already now, you join in his resurrection life already now, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Following Jesus is not supposed to be a weight to carry that drains the fun out of life. Following Jesus means being so full of new life that you can experience joy even in the midst of difficulty. And that joy, the joy of knowing Jesus, flows directly from Jesus' joy of knowing you. Time and time again, the scriptures paint for us a picture of a God who absolutely delights in people. A God who not only loves them and saves them, but enjoys them and wants to spend quality time with them. The God Jesus knows and reveals as Father is the God of relationship, who delights in specific individuals and throws parties in heaven because of what you just did this last week. Of course, following Jesus means coming to grips with your failures, with your sin, with your shame. Of course, discipleship entails repentance and molding and refining. Of course, dying to your sinful self daily isn't a lot of fun. An old traditional confession of sin starts, I, a poor, miserable sinner, repentance is an essential part of discipleship. Another old traditional confession also expresses to God the reason I want to be forgiven, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. Right next to repentance, delight is an equally essential part of discipleship. You cannot be a consistent, faithful follower the way Jesus intends without the key ingredient of delight. Now watch it. To say you have to delight can become just as much a burden as saying you have to repent, when in both cases, Jesus intends for you to receive these habits of following as a gift, not a burden. The Holy Spirit works repentance in you as a gift to lead you into a deeper and more intimate relationship with God in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But what I really want to get at in the rest of this book is this. The Holy Spirit works delight in you as a gift to lead you into a deeper and more intimate relationship with God in Jesus Christ. Now that I can see both repentance and delight as gifts, It seems strange to me to look back at my experience of church and church people. Almost all the church people I've ever known would point to the need for repentance in the life of a believer. 
but few and far between were the individuals who knew one of the secrets of the kingdom. Delight is an essential part of your faith journey. Of course, you might not use the word delight very much. You might prefer a different vocabulary word, but whatever you call it, I mean that moment when the little boy runs laughing into his mother's arms and she picks him up and brings him close and each can't get enough of the other's joy. I call that mutual delight. And that's what Jesus wants in his relationship with you. Maybe that invitation feels more like challenge to you way up here at the beginning of a book on discipleship as delight. Or maybe it makes your heart beat a little faster and awakens a longing deep in your soul. Or maybe you have no idea how to think about mutual delight with God. All of those reactions are valid. Although I've never heard of discipleship described by anyone as an adventure of loving and being loved, I'm not trying to roll out a new doctrine here. I'm convinced that the scriptures themselves invite us to see our relationship with God, perhaps even primarily, as an interaction of mutual delight. Whether you're confused, excited, or skeptical about that claim, I invite you to take this journey with me. I want to show you what I've seen in Scripture and share with you what the Holy Spirit has been shaping in me and perhaps will shape in you, too. There's such a freedom in living not under the burden of religious practice, but in the confidence of God's delight that I can hardly tell you how much a difference delight has made in my own personal life. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The ultimate goal of this entire journey is to relieve the burden of being a Christian with the joy of being a follower. To follow Jesus is to have confidence in God's delight and to have freedom to try and to fail. Following Jesus means you are caught up in a love story beyond your wildest dreams. To follow Jesus is to put your foot on a path of adventure marked by challenges and difficulties and sorrow and failure, but marked most fundamentally by mutual delight. As we read scripture and think and pray and discern together, I hope you also come to see discipleship as the adventure of loving and being loved. Section 1. The Architecture of Delight Setting the Stage God delights in the people God created, redeemed, and continues to sustain. And God loves it when those people feel the same way about their creator, redeemer, and sustainer. That mutual delight is one of the central themes of Scripture, a theme that often gets drowned out by other ways of telling the story. So how do we get at a biblical understanding of delight? The introduction already gave us one way to try and get a handle on our relationship with God through the lens of delight, a kind of definition by image. Quote, that moment when a little boy runs laughing into his mother's arms and she picks him up and brings him close and they each can't get enough of the other's joy. Unquote. Whatever vocabulary word you would use to describe that scene, that's what I mean by delight. 
you could probably come up with a group of synonyms or a word cloud of related vocabulary that gets at that image of mutual delight. You could put delight in the center and then surround it with words like rejoice, joy, exult, enjoy, or jump for joy. You might even include words like pleasing, pleasurable, delightful, desirable, enjoyable, or fun. Your word cloud might look a little different than mine, but I bet we would find significant overlap. The scriptures work a bit like that as well. Getting a handle on a biblical concept of delight is not as simple as doing a word search in your favorite translation. It's not even as simple as doing a word search in Hebrew followed by a word search in Greek. The vast library of books and genres we call the Bible, written across widely divergent times, languages, and cultures by very different personalities and very unique styles, the Bible has its own word cloud when it comes to the concept of delight. I want to spend some time with that word cloud in these opening chapters. If you're a real vocabulary geek, I love that about you, you will find enough Greek and Hebrew in this section to geek out about though you may wish I had been more thorough or more nuanced in some places. If you are not the English major type, I love that about you. You will find enough big picture concepts to make these short chapters worthwhile, though you may wish I had been a little less thorough or less nuanced in some places. Regardless of your personal preference for the material, I want you to see that the biblical word cloud for delight at least as far as we will explore it, which is both way too far and not nearly far enough, the biblical word cloud is slightly different from our own. Words like pleasure or desire don't necessarily fit easily into my concept of delight, or at least they carry connotations that feel very unreligious. And my idea of delight seems to be primarily focused on my emotions, though I do have room for enjoying experiences that are mental or physical. In contrast, the biblical concept of delight seems to be much more focused on the whole person, body, soul, mind, will, and emotions all wrapped up together in one. I guess that shouldn't surprise me. I remember learning at a young age Luther's explanation to the first section of the Apostles' Creed. I believe that God has made me and all creatures that he has given me my body and soul, my eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, and all my senses, and still preserves them. I think delight in the Bible is an eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, and all my senses kind of concept. And that gets me really excited. So we're going to look at some Hebrew and some Greek in what follows, but mostly as a way of tracking and describing how, in God's economy, the whole person is the domain of delight. Again, these first chapters have a different character than the rest of the book, and if you want to skip ahead and maybe use this section as a reference later, well, that's okay with me. Getting at how the concept of delight gets built out across scripture will help us explore mutual delight in our relationship with God. But the most important thing is simply this. God delights in you in a visceral, emotional, intellectual, and playful way. And God invites you to experience your relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit already now in ways that are visceral, emotional, intellectual, and playful all at the same time. Chapter 1. Joyful Delight Things that make you go, Woohoo! 
The biblical concept of delight doesn't involve merely the emotions. Biblical delight involves the whole person. But just because delight involves the whole person doesn't mean emotions aren't important. Your emotions are a very important part of your whole person. So as you might expect, joy is right at the center of the Bible's word cloud for delight. One of my favorite Bible verses for delight comes from Zephaniah 3, verse 7. Here's the way one common translation, the NIV, or New International Version, puts it. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight. That's the Hebrew word, sus. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Sus is Hebrew, and it means exult, rejoice, take delight in, make mirth, or be glad. I love that image. In fact, I love it so much it will show up again in chapter 7. God's delight in you is so overwhelming that this mighty warrior finds himself singing for joy. His is a multifaceted emotional response that gets expressed in very physical ways. The vocabulary of delight in this single verse is rich and complex and gets rather complicated. The primary word translated here, delight, in Hebrew is sus. You pronounce it like Dr. Seuss. Seuss often, if not always, gets translated as delight. But notice that we're dealing with great delight in this context. We're actually getting a Hebraic buy one, get one free deal where you double down on vocabulary words to express the strength of the concept. In the original formulation, the mighty warrior is delighting with great delight, which I suppose is about the same thing as taking great delight in something. Look at how another translation, the English Standard Version, or ESV, translates the same verse. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty warrior who saves. He will rejoice, Seuss, over you with gladness, Simka. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult, Geel, over you with loud singing. Take great delight in you, NIV, has become rejoice over you with gladness. ESV. They are functionally equivalent, and looking at these two different translations together helps us get at why we don't want to define the biblical concept of delight too narrowly. There's a lot going on here. The ESV, while losing the word delight, picks up on the fact that there are actually two different vocabulary words for delight being used in this buy one, get one free construction. Rejoice, Seuss, take delight, like Dr. Seuss, with gladness, Simka joy or delight, like sim card, but with a good German ach at the end, just backwards, sim ka. That two-for-one deal is one reason I think this kind of delight is especially connected to the emotion of joy. Delighting slash rejoicing is happening in express connection to gladness slash joy. We're talking about an emotional experience of delight. In fact, the emotion is so strong, it is accompanied by a physical response. Here we have another Hebraism. When two actions are parallel in Hebrew poetry, they're usually either antonyms or synonyms. The text is either helping you understand the topic by giving you its exact opposite, antonym, or its dynamic equivalent, synonym. It's as if the Hebrew poets made meanings of the words rhyme rather than just the sounds of the words. 
In Zephaniah 3.17, we have the phrase, take great delight in you, in a parallel construction with rejoice or exalt over you with loud singing. Those two ideas are either in stark contrast to each other or the author is emphasizing their similarities. Their meanings rhyme. Here it seems obvious to me that delight is supposed to be understood as a rough equivalent of exalting with loud singing. While this second rejoice-exalt vocabulary word would rarely get translated directly as delight in English, it does fit in the broader word cloud of delight as it relates to the concept of joy. This joy in particular is a jump-up-and-spin-around kind of joy. The Hebrew word gil, sounds like feel, can actually be used for any strong emotion that makes you jump up and spin around. Fear, for example. But here it is clearly a positive emotional experience. The kind of delight expressed in Zephaniah 3.17 is a joyful delight, an emotional response so strong that even a mighty warrior has to jump up, spin around, and start singing. That's what God thinks of you. When you show up for worship, Jesus is like, Woohoo! My friends are here! Dad, we get to spend time with some of my favorite people in the world. High five! When you make the effort in your busy schedule to read scripture, the Holy Spirit is all, Woohoo! I get to spend time with someone I love. Isn't this awesome? When you confess your sins, when you share your doubts and prayer, when you bring your burdens and your anxieties and your fears to your Heavenly Father, that mighty warrior sets aside his heavy helmet, still hot from combat, and picks you up in his muscular embrace and with a voice capable of calling all the armies of heaven to battle, quiets you with his love and takes great delight in you and croons a love song over you that begins with the joyful refrain, Woohoo! My darling, beloved, delightful child is in my arms again. Your father gets all emotional when he thinks of you. You make Jesus jump for joy. The Spirit's delight in you is perhaps best expressed in song. And the scriptures, taken as a whole, seem to think that God intends the feeling to be mutual. In the epic love song to the Word of God we know as Psalm 119, our Seuss, joyful delight word, shows up not in reference to how God feels about spending time with you, but to describe how you might feel as you get to spend time with God. The psalmist sings, In the way of your testimonies I delight, Seuss, as much as in all riches. That's Psalm 119, verse 14 in the ESV. In other words, knowing God's way is like winning the lottery, or at least like the feeling you get when you win the lottery, or when you get the job you really wanted, or when you have your bid accepted on the house of your dreams, or when your crush says yes to the date, and you jump up, and you spin around in joy, and you start singing and laughing. The psalmist says, knowing your way, God, your testimonies, commands, blessings, promises, when I know from your word what you are up to in my life, it's like striking it rich. I seuss in your way as much as I would in all riches. Net worth of the world's richest person, $154 billion. Knowing Jesus, 
priceless. And the immense value of that relationship is supposed to bring us joy. Real woohoo! Jump up in the air and spin around, hug total strangers and laugh through your tears while you do a little jig and start singing at the top of your voice kind of joy. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. When was the last time you imagined knowing God's way as something that would make you jump for joy? When did you last approach scripture as if it might make you start dancing? How often do your emotions spill over into song as you get to know and follow Jesus just a little more closely? You know, I think Christians have gotten a bit of a bum rap. By and large, I think others see us as the kind of people who don't have any fun, or at least people who don't want anyone else to have any fun. We end up being characterized as those who always follow rules intended to take the joy out of living, the people who dare not smile too loudly in church, who never relax, never joke, never join in the fun. And while there may be some good reasons not to join into the kind of fun the world around us is having, I think we do the gospel a disservice when we present ourselves as serious people who are mostly about serious things and who want everyone else to stop doing anything that might end up leading to an emotional experience of joy. Jesus had a reputation for hanging out with sinners and was accused of eating and drinking a little too much and partying too hearty for the religious folk. I'm not saying Jesus ever did drink too much. I'm just saying he was at those kind of parties often enough that the label of a glutton and drunkard was thrown around, even if in hyperbole. I think faith in that Jesus should make you smile more often. I think you are supposed to break into a spiritual jig on occasion. I think Jesus intends for you to experience more woohoo in your discipleship walk. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying following Jesus is supposed to be sunshine and daisies all the time. But even when the road is difficult or dark, I think Jesus intends for you to receive the gift of joyful delight in your relationship with him. One reason I say this is because of what Jesus himself says at a pretty dark and difficult part of the story. Jesus and his closest followers are in that upper room on the night when he was betrayed. It's Monday, Thursday evening, the part of the story that leads directly to struggle and arrest in the garden, trial and torture under Pilate and Herod, and the terrible agony of crucifixion. Jesus gets up from the table, and because he knows where he is from and where he is going, he wraps a towel around his waist and shows his closest friends the full extent of his love by personally and humbly washing each of their feet. He teaches on service and love and vine and branches. Then Jesus says something that I think should change our preconceived notion of what it means to follow him. Of course, Jesus gives the command to love and serve in line with his own love and service. That's why we call it Monday, mandatum, command, Thursday. But the reason he gives the command in the first place is a real doozy. 
I've told you these things, Jesus says, and he's talking about his command to love one another. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Joy. The New Testament Greek word for joy here is kara, like caress, but with a ra, kara. Uh, that word means joy or delight. It's even directly related to the New Testament word for grace, charis, like caress, but with an is, charis, real joy, related to grace. On that Monday, Thursday night in the upper room, Judas is getting ready to go and meet up with soldiers he will bring to Jesus' private place of prayer. Jesus is about to enter into a prayerful wrestling with the Father that will leave him so distressed he sweats blood. Next on the agenda is beating and mocking and abandonment and death, and Jesus wants to share his joy. If we hadn't already been using Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, as labels for so long, we could have opted for Kara Thursday and Karis Friday, because the reason for the service and the self-denial and the love of neighbor, the reason for the garden and the cross and the empty tomb, the ultimate goal of lives lived out in the gracious kingdom of the crucified and risen Son is quite simply joy. Friends, joyful delight is not about turning your frown upside down. Joyful delight is not a whitewashing of tombs so that the awful reality of this sinful world seems to stink a little less. Joyful delight is a powerful emotional response to God's action in Jesus. Even in the midst of the difficult and painful and confusing and hard, joyful delight means jumping for joy even when you can't get up out of your wheelchair. I have told you these things so that my kara may be in you and your kara may be complete. Jesus sees you and jumps for joy, spins around, shouts, woohoo, and sings his happy song. Jesus invites you to imagine what it would be like to experience life with him in that same kind of joyful delight. What grace from Jesus brought you joy this week? You might want to tell him that. You might even want to sing him your happy song. I know he'd love it. That was the introduction and the opening chapter of a book called Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved by Justin Rosso. That book is due out September 1st from Next Step Press. Thanks for joining us today on the Next Step Podcast. It's been just a wonderful pleasure to be here with you. Always glad to explore following Jesus with my friends. Sorry for getting you a podcast you weren't expecting, and I do look forward to bringing in a guest to talk about God's faithfulness. Hey, thank you for your time. And thank you for considering being a Next Step patron. Patrons really do make it possible. And our ministry to equip people to delight in taking a next step wouldn't be possible without their support. So thanks for your time. Thanks for your partnership. Thanks for being a part of the Next Step community as we take a step following Jesus together. See you next time on Next Step Press.